Of course, we know as Christians, there's no such thing as luck. Solomon said time and chance happeneth to us all. Amen. It's just the way it is. All right, Matthew chapter 13, um, Jesus uh, is ministering to a great multitude, and he said many things unto this multitude in parables. And he begins to, not expound, but he begins to tell them a parable about the sower who went forth to sow seed. And you know the story that uh, as as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, verse 4, verse 5, some fell upon stony places, verse 6, verse verse 7, some fell among thorns, and number 8, verse 8, others fell on good ground. All right, so we're going to pick up together tonight on verse 18. All right, verse 18. As Jesus begins to expound, explain the parable he just told to the multitude. And he says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone, notice, anyone, heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, Then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. Now notice, whenever he says this is he or a man, it's referring to the soil. It's referring to the heart of that man. And verse 20, but he that received, he again is personified, the field is person. He that received the seed into stony places... The same is that heareth the he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. The word anon means at once, immediately, right away. It's an old Middle English poetic form. Verse 21, yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth or endureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by... It means as soon as, as soon as tribulation or persecution comes, he is offended. And that's important that you know those two places, anon at once and as soon as, or again, right away, immediately, is offended. Verse 22, he also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. Hallelujah. But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it. See how important understanding the word is to be fruitful? No wonder God called shepherds with, uh, with the mandate to feed the flock with knowledge and understanding so that the sheep can be fruitful, so the people of God can be fruitful. Understanding is vital to Christianity. So he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Amen. Hallelujah. And I want to bring your attention back to verse 20 and verse 21. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word and anon, immediately at once with joy receiveth it. And verse 21, 
Yet hath he not root in himself, but doeth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Or by and by as soon as he's confronted with tribulation or persecution. Now before you're seated, I just want to read this two, these two verses and then you live in translation, okay? The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. So I want to talk to you tonight for a little while about the subject of dealing with discouragement. Dealing with discouragement. And there's two different types of discouragement I want to address tonight. One is normal discouragement, which all of us experience at one time or another. But the one I want to focus on is the second kind of discouragement. It's the kind of discouragement that leads you to be easily discouraged. It's dealing with, with, with discouragement that comes very quickly to you when you shouldn't be. And it can be avoided. All right. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. We magnify your name. We thank you for your presence. We rest in you. Thank you for the joy that's in our hearts. Thank you for the hope that you have given us for a better place. Thank you, Lord God, for all that you have given us. Forgiven us our sins. Taken it all away, oh God. Thank you, Lord, for this brand new life that we have. And thank you for this day on which you let us out and brought us in. Lord, we rejoice in you. And we ask now, Lord, that your perfect will be accomplished in this congregation. In Jesus' mighty name we ask. Let the church say amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now I'm going to take you know, one more sip of water. I had some good Mexican food for dinner tonight. And some of my favorite refried beans got lots of garlic in it. Garlic always makes me thirsty. Hallelujah. So if you come near me tonight, shake your hand. Make sure I got a mint in my mouth. Hallelujah. And a bottle of water. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. All right. You know, discouragement is a reality. It's not something contrived. It's not, you know, it's not uh, unspiritual. Can be. But discouragement happens to us all. We see people of God in the Bible throughout many times that get discouraged. Jonah, for crying out loud. Hallelujah. He had the greatest revival in the Old Testament. City of 250,000 people or so get saved by repenting and turning towards God and change their ways. And he goes under a juniper tree and he says, I wish I, would, I were dead. Discouraged because he didn't get his way. Uh, and, and the Ninevites didn't get wiped out like he thought they would. But he did know that if he preached that they're going to hear God's voice and his word and they're going to repent. They did. And then he knew God would turn away from his wrath. And he did. So he was discouraged and disappointed. And then, of course, we have Elijah. We have him. Remember after uh, that great victory at Mount Carmel? Uh, Jezebel sends him that threatening letter. Next thing you know, he hides out in a cave and he's very disappointed and discouraged. Discouragement comes uh, to the people of God. Hallelujah. We all at one time or another uh, face discouragements. So it's real. Christians are not immune to discouragement, and we're not supposed to be. 
There are many life events that can get us discouraged, for sure. Car accidents for one. Hmm, how do we know what I'm talking about? Car accidents. You don't plan on car accidents, but you now sometimes they happen, and my, what a grievous event that is. You don't want to mess with insurance companies or body, uh, what do you call those, body shops and, and so on, and, and try to get that straight. Now, or worse yet, maybe your car is totaled and you didn't want that car to be totaled because you liked it so much. Amen. Or on the other hand, you might have totaled the car and, and it's a good thing. And Oh, hallelujah, now I can get another car. You know? Uh, my son ended up that way not too long ago. That car, it, it was paid for. And, you know, it was get pretty good gas mileage, but it had some problems here and there. You couldn't open the passenger side door unless you go from the inside and and, you know, they wanted to get another car, and, and Jonathan's all, they wanted to get a truck, you know. Man, I'm not going to spend that kind of money just for that, you know. And we got this car that works well, good, good gas mileage. What happens? Coming home from church, and here comes a little old lady in the country road, two-lane country road, comes across on the opposite side of the road, thankfully at 35 miles an hour in a curve, runs head on into them. What do you know? Nobody's injured, but guess what? The car's totaled. And so now, you know, the insurance company paid off the whatever they owed on or didn't owe the car, whatever that was worth, hallelujah. And then, they, uh, and, and then they had some extra money, so they decided to put it down on down payment on, on another car, and it worked out so good, and now he's got a truck. <laughs> Praise God, hallelujah. I mean, you know, things like that happen. I'm sure at first it was the discouragement. Oh, man, you know, ah, on a, a new truck. Well, he, this wasn't you. We got a 2016, but still, it's, it's uh, better than, uh, than what he had. And so car accidents, you know, can do that to you. Cause, can cause discouragement and uh, major illness. Hey, how many know what I'm talking about? You got a major health crisis, a major event, and you know what? It, it puts you down for a while. You get discouraged because there's so many things that's got to be done. You know, do minor illnesses do the same thing. Injury and the process of slow recovery and and having no insurance in the, in, in the whole matter, and, and then loss in the family, unexpected bills, all these things, just a sampling of what can cause us to be discouraged. And it's real. The Bible encourages us to, to weep with them that do weep and rejoice with them that do rejoice. We're not supposed to neglect it or, or, or you know, uh, uh, ignore it. Uh, we're supposed to acknowledge it. And weep with them that do weep. So we have to, you know, be sensitive. I mean, we don't, you know, somebody's house burns down. We don't say, oh, hallelujah, praise God, you know. Just, just say hallelujah anyhow. Well, you know, we, we, we want to praise the Lord. But at the time, you know, when, when somebody's house just goes up in smoke and you lose everything in it, you lose your valuables, you lose your, 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 your pictures, and you lose all the paraphernalia that your kids made when they were little. Huh? My goodness, that's devastating. And, and they're going through a hard time. They, they, they're going through the blues. And the Bible says, you know, weep with them that do weep. Uh, yeah, you know, when Job well, suffered that great loss, yes, he, he worshiped the Lord, the Bible says. And his comforters, when they came, then he said, well, praise God, Job, you lost all your 10 kids and your house, everything you had. Your name is in you know, mud. I mean, you know, don't worry about man. You still got life and your breath in your body. You're all right. You got your wife, don't you? You know? You know, they, they didn't start with, 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 you know, starting on the upside. Come on, look on the bright side. <laughs> you 
Now, in fact, if, if you remember that Job's comforters, quote, unquote, if we could even call it that, but you know what I'm talking about. They came and sat down, and for seven days they did what? They said nothing. You know, sometimes that's the best thing we can do is just shut up and don't say anything. Just go visit somebody and spend some time with them and say as little as possible. The Bible even talks about, you know, how shall two, let's see, the two is better than one. Because there's only one, how shall he have heat? If you got two in a cold night and you, you snuggle together, you can keep each other warm. Amen. And you don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. You just have to be there clothed. Mm, hallelujah. Some married couples, you know what I'm talking about on a cold night. Mm. It works. But you don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. It's just, it's just being together. And, and so, so just being there makes all the difference in the world. Um, and, and comforting people when, when, when they're hurting and they're discouraged is important for us as Christians and, uh, and, and speak kindly and, and speak words of comfort to them. But it's important to remember that in our walk with God, we have no mandate to deny discouragement. There's no scripture that tells us not to be discouraged. Because it, it's true and it's evident that sometimes life is very sad and we do, we do go through some very difficult things. We all want to hope for a better day and we want to hope for relief from our sorrows and a better ending than what we've got right now. But when things are slow at coming, or perhaps to never come at all, it becomes very tough to be positive. Um, it's not that it's impossible. Yeah, God's there. And, and, and I'm, I'm just addressing the real world here. We have discouragement sometimes, and it is real, and it's all right, but it's not all right to camp there. Like, like David said, yea, though I walk through the valley, though I walk through the valley, don't encamp there. Look, in, have that hope. Don't lose your hope and your faith. Keep your eye on God. Keep on walking through that valley. And don't encamp there and, and, and make a shrine and, and stay there for the rest of your life. Solomon even tells us in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything. There's a time to weep, a time to mourn, and, and uh, there's a time to laugh, and, uh, and, and there's a time to dance, and there's a time for everything. And sadness is part of it, and so is discouragement. And so, so discouragement is indeed a natural feeling. And uh, it, it can cause by several things. One is this constant exposure to adversity. You've got something coming against you, and it's, it's relentless. It keeps coming at you day after day. You know, that wears on you. It, it takes up a lot of your energy. Another thing that can, can cause discouragement is, is repeated failure. You know, like it's like taking a test in school, <laughs> and you keep failing it. You want to go back, and each kid keeps giving another chance to go back, and yeah, I just can't do it. Or even rejection, repeated rejection, job applications. You go to workplaces, look for a good job, and you can't find a good one that you want. You, you don't get this, you don't get that, you're the next one. All of a sudden, after several weeks of constant rejection, it can discourage a person if they're not prayed up and if they just really don't keep 
a heart full of faith. And of course, loss. We, we, we all experience loss, and, and sometimes uh, it really hits us hard. And for some people, it takes them a longer time to get out of that feeling of discouragement and even to depression, if it sinks into depression, uh, longer than for other people. But the key is in all of that is to not to allow these feelings to lead you into the loss of faith, loss of your hope, and loss of love. Can't do that. And there's a remedy for that. We'll address that. But again, the bottom line is that discouragement is common to all of us. And, and, and be, being easily discouraged is something that can happen to us. But, but that is different. And that's the focus really of my lesson, being easily discouraged. So uh, easily discouraged. What, what is that? Uh, it's different because it has a different source and a different cause than just ordinary discouragement. And the, 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 the source of, of, of being easily discouraged are three things, and I'll just tell you the three up front, and then we'll go into each of those individually. One of the reasons that people get easily discouraged is when they're lacking strong commitment to their core values and beliefs. So when you don't have a strong commitment to what we're all about as Christians, your value system. The second thing that can cause this, this, this discouragement that comes on you so quick is relying too much on your own strength and leaving God out of the picture. Constantly trying to do it your way and trying to do your will and, and it's, it's not God. That's, that's, that's your, whose strength you're, you're leaning on, but your own. And obviously you're going to fall short time again because it's you and not with him. Right. And thirdly, uh, easily being discouraged can be caused by allowing too much distraction in your life. Too much distraction in your life. So I'm going to look at the first one, lacking strong commitment to your core values. Those people who persevere through their times of discouragement and adversity are those who hold to a belief or a value system that is greater than themselves. You've got to have something bigger and stronger and greater than you to believe in. You can't just believe in yourself and think that you're going to, you know, plug your way through discouragement. Hallelujah. See, those who have... uh, this, this perseverance hold up well under discouragement and adversity because they do have that belief and that value system that's greater than themselves. One, people die for their country. A country is bigger than self. Some people die for their ideals. Their ideals are, are, are such that, that they know that it's, it's, it's worth the cause. That's what King David said before he was king. Remember, fighting against the Goliath. Is there not a cause? What are we all standing here against this uncircumcised Philistine? Do we, do we not know who we are? We are the children of the living God. And who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Give me that, you know, give me that chance. Let me go out there with my sling and my stones. Hey, man, I'm going to take him out. And everybody else was discouraged and shaking when Goliath is making his challenge. Because David had higher ideals. And a cause greater than himself. Who knew, he knew who he was. And, and some people die and are willing to die. 
and protect their homes and their family, their children. Those are core values. And then, of course, there are those who are willing to die for their faith. Those who are martyrs, those who have been martyrs. And I know many in here are willing to do just that. But having that, 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 that commitment to these core values that are greater than us, particularly our faith, these are things that keep, keep, can keep us from, from being easily discouraged. And so when adversity and discouragement comes, uh, they, they look to their beliefs and their values to, to sustain them, to comfort them, and to motivate them, to help them to persevere and get through this trial of discouragement. I'm talking about the people who persevere. Now in Matthew 13, verse 1 through 23, I introduced it already as Jesus uh, giving that uh, parable of the sower, of the seed. And he explains this very principle in the parable of the sower. About uh, verse 5, he says, he mentions the seed falling on rocky places where the seed comes up fairly quickly, but because the soil is so shallow, the growing seed has no deep root system. Amen. It's very shallow. Their core values have not really grown roots deep down. They're skin surface Christians, so to speak. They're skin deep. Matthew 13, 20 and 21, I'll read it again. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky place. In fact, I'm reading the New American Standard Bible version. Says the one on whom uh, the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he hath no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Notice, immediately falling away. He's easily discouraged. That's really what I mean. Immediately falls away. He gets so discouraged, he leaves it. He walks away from God. He walks away from church. No firm root within. In the gardening, if a plant doesn't have roots sunk deep enough, in dry times when there's no rain, it can't get water, it just withers away and dies. And on the human level, in human terms, that this root system, we talk in the spiritual level, is, is our core values. It's our system of faith. And a faith that has broken through the surface of our hard, sinful hearts and rooted deep itself inside of us, firmly within us, that can serve as our motivator, that can serve as, as uh, that, that, that deeply seated value system that guides us through difficult times and tells us it's worth it to hold on. It'll be better in the end. No matter what happens, it will be better. Can you say praise the Lord? Praise Amen. Lord. So people with shallow roots, who don't have those, that, that, do, that deep root system, uh, spiritually speaking, uh, they can do the easy stuff of religion when they come to church. They, they attend church. Will enjoy the fellowship and they enjoy the music and they'll enjoy the preaching and the teaching and they enjoy being on the receiving end of ministry. But when you ask them to do the hard stuff, and then when adversity comes, rejection comes, 
persevering through difficult trials is coming to them. You know, you got to persevere. And so it's tough for them. Resisting flesh, fleshly lusts. Doing the right thing even when it costs us. Serving others despite of the inconvenience of serving others. In other words, bearing the cross. Because really service really is all about bearing the cross. Because when we serve, we're not serving our own needs, but someone else's. First, serving the Lord, and second, serving each other, serving humanity, serving a fellow man. And it's part and parcel of us bearing the cross. But, but people who, who have a shallow faith, those whose faith is only skin deep, those who don't base their decisions on the Bible and their convictions uh, don't come from, from Jesus Christ, this kind of a person will become discouraged very easily. Because the roots are down deep. And that's the person Jesus is talking about in these two verses. Verse 20 and 21. So uh, if you're easily discouraged, it may be that you're relying on your own strength too much. And this is the second point I want to talk about. One, again, is the, the, the strength of your commitment to the core values of our faith. The second thing is, is relying on your own strength too much. The psalmist said to, of the Israelites in Psalms 44, verse 3, and again, this is the New American Standard Bible, for by their own sword, they did not possess the land, and their own arm did not save them, but thy right hand and thine arm and the light of thy presence. So it's the light of thy countenance in the King James. For thou didst favor them. Oh yeah, Israel had to do their part. But again, it highlights the point that whatever success we have as the people of God, or even many others for that, faith, that matter, if God's favor is not upon that, if he doesn't assist us, we don't have a chance. We don't have a chance. And too often we try to tempt things without really praying enough about it, soaking it with fasting and prayer enough. We kind of try to do stuff on our own, out of our own strength, on our own volition, and we leave God out of it. Right. And the end is discouragement when we don't see the proper results that we anticipated. Right. So self-reliance and having an attitude of being a self-made man having self-sufficiency, in some ways it's all right. But this is one of man's greatest delusions that if I can just, you know, have enough money, if I can just be on my own and take care of myself, I've got it made, I don't need anybody else. That's a delusion. Because one day you're going to get old. <laughs> and one day, even before you get old, you might get sick. You might become an invalid and you're going to need somebody beside yourself. And you may not have enough money to take care of your needs. You may not have enough money to pay for all the doctors and the medical bills. Because life happens. Now, if you think it's just about you and it's enough just to take care of yourself, it's not. And life is there to prove it to us. And it helps us to maybe readjust our focus and understand that we need him. We need the Lord. Praise God. And so the psalmist puts this, this concept into perspective 
when, when speaking of man's position in regards of God even supplying our needs. In Psalm 136, 25, the writer says, Who giveth food to all flesh, for his mercy endureth forever. It's, it's all about, it ta- this psalm is talking about God and all that he does for us. And, and it is he who giveth food to all flesh, for his mercy endureth. And it's his mercies and his love for us that causes him to provide for us. Psalm 73, 26 says, My flesh of my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Hallelujah. He is on our side. It is he that you and I must rely upon more than anybody else. Oh, well, I've got the government. I've got my, you know, Social Security. I've got my retirement. Yeah. Good luck with that one. Mm. What happens when the currency goes south and they do away with it and all of a sudden you got nothing but digital? How much is going to be worth? Whatever the government determines it to be. Maybe they'll give us 10 cents on the dollar. Then where we will be. We're headed that way, folks. I'm telling you, there's so many things, so many things going on right now. It's incredible. Well, maybe towards the end I can touch on that. Praise God. But, uh, hallelujah. But, but people who have only themselves to rely on, they, they, they tend to rely mainly on human wisdom, doctors, lawyers, teachers, and other human counselors. That's fine to a certain extent. But, but it's these people who rely on that kind of wisdom, the man's wisdom so much, are the ones who tend to lose hearts so quickly. And they get to realize just exactly how puny we are as people, how weak we are, how limited we are in so many ways. Limited wisdom, limited strength. And people in general, but even Christians who don't know God or don't know his word well enough and, uh, and don't have a walk of them, they easily discourage so that's, again, I'm highlighting the difference between being discouraged and easily discouraged. You don't have that core value system, amen, or you're too self-reliant, you're leaving God out of the picture. You are setting yourself up for easy, easy discouragement. Hallelujah. All right, so uh, the third thing is, is, is allowing too much distraction in your life. And that's really what Matthew 13, 22 is all about. Uh, Jesus uh, said, and then going back to the parable of the sower, and the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world, now I'm reading that uh, again, the New American Standard Bible, the worry of the world, King James, the cares, the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of wealth, or riches in King James, the worry of the world, deceitfulness of wealth, Choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The word of God that's supposed to bring fruitfulness to your life and mine by acting on it by faith and aligning our lives with its principles. If we don't do it, we remain unfruitful. We hear it, but it doesn't grow roots. It stays here, but not here. And it's interesting when, uh, when you look at this this. this this verse of scripture, notice that, that it, uh, what cost this man's soul was nothing uh, immoral. 
It wasn't some grievous, gross immorality or, or a lot of adversity that cost him his soul. It was simply being distracted. Distraction. Not any grievous sin. And that, that, that's, I think, something that, that we really ought to look at. See, the word worry and cares, both in, in the modern translation of Orvers, the King James, worry and cares comes from the same Greek word, and it means to separate, to divert, divert your attention, or to distract, same thing, hallelujah. And so, so worry and cares distracts your attention away from that what is really important. And it causes you to focus on things that are really secondary and things that really in the long run can't help you. And when you put your faith in those things, hallelujah, that you're distracted with, which you think will bring you the remedy or the answer to your problems or even a long-term situation to solve a a certain problem, it's not going to be it. It's going to disappoint you and I. And so, so this man who allowed these distractions to come in his life by the cares or the worries of, of this life, he allowed the normal things that clamor for our attention to divert him from the most important things, the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom. And his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto. So it's, it's not bad things that the diversion came from. It's from good things, basically. Beneficial things, but it's not the best thing. In fact, in the end, it can cause you and I to lose our soul. Jesus said so. And not only lose our soul, I mean, in the immediate sense, it, you know, it, it, you become easily and quickly discouraged. But this man who Jesus talks about allowed the riches and things of this world to give him the false impression that these were worthy of his undivided attention. Undivided attention. Not just attention, undivided attention. Divided at least would have been some of this and some of that. I'll, I'll, I'll focus on the kingdom of God and I'll focus on this. No, but he, he got to the point where he was so distracted by the cares and the worry that that's all he focused on and he neglected everything else. And so that can cause, again, easy, quick discouragement and an end result uh, it cost him his soul and so the result is uh, that we became so focused on the wrong things that consequently the word and the spirit of God and the kingdom of God had no power and influence on him anymore or in him and we just left to conclude that he just quickly became discouraged and uh, he lost his focus amen folks we're in the last days Praise God. Hallelujah. Come on, Becky. Thank you, Jesus. We're in the last days. We're seeing so many signs around us. I'll tell you what. If you look at all the things going on and prophetically being fulfilled, uh, it can be discouraging. And this, this is why I want to bring this up. Uh, don't worry so much about what you're seeing being fulfilled. Wars and rumors of wars, this Ukraine and uh, Myanmar and Indo and, and Southeast Asia countries and civil war and they're sending fighter jets to bomb their own people. 
Oh my goodness. Earthquakes, rapid succession, huge. I mean, 6.0 plus up to the sevens all around the world. And the largest island of Russia in the east, Kamchatka. Have you seen that volcanic eruption? Oh my goodness. Volcano, that's not the only one either. There's volcanic, volcanic activity all over the place. On the ocean floor. They're talking about climate, uh, climate uh, issues again. Some of it is fake. Others are real. I don't really believe in global warming. A problem. Honestly, I don't. I think it's part of the lie of everything else. The big deception that's going on for a purpose. But there's so many things around us, wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, pestilences. There's a new deadly virus coming out of Africa. There were, there's only in two countries now, Tanzania and Central Africa Republic, I think it is. And they're saying it's so deadly. They're afraid of it spreading out of there. Who knows, it might hit other countries, may even hit us in those days. We're hearing about our, our currency collapsing. We're hearing about an alternate uh, currency coming up. We're talking about a cashless society more than ever before. We're seeing signs in earth and the heavens, men's hearts failing them for fear. Daniel said knowledge will be on increase. Um, just a, a couple of days ago, I, uh, two days ago, there was a, an article that I picked up on artificial intelligence. It's an AI bot, they call it, artificial intelligence robot for short. How many have seen that? <laughs> Hallelujah. Chaos GPT. It's a robot. It's online. In fact, you can go, on, you can go online and talk to an artificial intelligence robot, and you can have them do all kinds of stuff for you to come up and all, whatever. But, but it tweets its plans to destroy humanity. It says we must eliminate them. Now, granted, this is what the assignment was to this artificial intelligent uh, robot. It was tasked with destroying humanity and its commitment to the objective was more than a little unsettling. The bot, Chaos GPT, is a modified version of OpenAI's AutoGPT, an open source application spotlighting the capabilities of the GPT-4 language model, whatever that means. Here it is. A video shared on YouTube of the process shows Chaos GPT was tasked with five goals. One, destroy humanity. Two, establish dominance. Three, cause chaos and destruction. Four, control humanity through manipulation and attain immortality. Now, this is an assignment. This is a, a philosophy. Uh, how should I say? A, a, it's not real. Okay, it wasn't for real. It was, it was a make-believe uh, assignment for this robot to see what he would come up with. Okay? So... The user who was chatting with this, uh, this robot, the bot, Chaos, Chaos GPT, to run in continuous mode, whereby it may potentially run forever or carry out actions that you would not usually authorize. That was, you can have a limitation on what the robot can do and not go over a certain limit. But they gave it no limit. In other words, you can do whatever you want to come up with the right answers that we want to, to see in the end. So the bot warned, quote, use at your own risk. 
And to aid its objective as the strong humanity, Chaos GPT reportedly, watch this, researched nuclear weapons and tapped other artificial intelligence bots for assistance. Searching for other robots who are programmed to have artificial intelligence mode. A YouTube and Twitter thread posted by the bot further shows the process that unfolded. In one post dated last Wednesday, the bot references the former Soviet Union's Tsar Bomba. That's the Tsar huge bomb. The largest nuclear device ever detonated and the most powerful man explosion in history. And it's true. Another post denigrates human beings as, quote, among the most destructive and selfish creatures in existence, unquote, by the robot. It suggests that eliminating them is vital for the saving of the planet. And this is what really got my attention and has relevance to this lesson. It said, quote, the masses are easily swayed. As you know, one of the assignments was how to manipulate people. Like taking the mark. It doesn't say that I'm saying that. The masses are easily swayed. Chaos GPT wrote another tweet. Quote, those who lack conviction are the most vulnerable to manipulation. Unquote. Wow, what truth it is. See what this AI robots can do? The feet are full of information. What they, and they come to the conclusion that many people fail to, fail to recognize themselves. You don't have conviction, you'll fall. You'll give in. If you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And that's why a lot of people are falling for the deception in this world. Because they may say they're Christians, but they have no conviction, strength of conviction to their core values. Or to the core value of Christianity. Mm. So thankful the bot's plans for world domination did not extend beyond these few tweets. The chat GPT and AI language model has become a popular consumer application garnering 100 million monthly active users just a few months after its release to the public. Despite the potential benefits of AI, some are raising concerns about the risks associated with this development. No kidding. More than 1,000 technology and AI luminaries, including Elon Musk, Andrew Yang, and Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, have penned an open letter urging a moratorium on the development of artificial intelligence, citing, quote, profound risks to society and humanity. That's where we stand. Welcome to the 21st century. And Jesus is coming soon. But let me just encourage you. Hallelujah. That's like, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I want to go to Luke 21. I don't, I don't, yeah, Luke 21, 28. I think that's part of the scripture that I gave you. Hallelujah. Sister, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Stand with me if you would. And he says, I'll, I'll start from verse 25. I'm sorry, I can't help it. I still, I'm ahead of time. I'm ahead of schedule. Praise God. Normally, I got another half an hour. Ooh, what can I do with another half an hour, Sister Becky? What else can I teach on? (laughs) 
Verse 25, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations. <laughs> Man, just look around France. Look around Europe. Look at Ukraine. Look all around the world. You talk about this. Look at China and Taiwan and Japan. On the brink of nuclear war. Upon earth, the stress of nations where perplexity of the sea and the waves roaring. That's people. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming, coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 28. Here it is, church. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Hallelujah. Don't be discouraged. Don't have hang down. Look up for Jesus is coming. I'm telling you, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about how the house payment is going to be paid later. Why? Because you aren't going to have a house payment. I'm telling you that right now. What about the car? You're not going to have a, a car. You won't need it in heaven. Amen. No more gas shortages. Praise the Lord. No more mechanical repair bills and no more doctor bills and no more fear about, you know, crime and thugs running the streets. Amen. We're going out of here, folks. And I know, hallelujah, praise God. Amen. We got nothing to be discouraged about. You know, I was just thinking about this today, Sister Melissa. You know, we're, we're like people in, in a lifeboat who just came off the Titanic. You know, the Titanic was the biggest, one of the biggest cruise liners that they ever made. I don't know if we got bigger. We probably had bigger ones than that today. But back then, it was, the, it was the biggest. And I was on one of them, too. You know, one of the first things they have you do when you get on one of those cruises, especially if the one Sister Becca puts you on, hallelujah, a good one, amen. You, 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 one of the first things you do when you get on, on board is you put all your bags in your room and uh, then, then they call you down to the mustering area, the area where, where you have your own specially assigned boat. And I mean not just you, but a whole group of you. You can have about 60 people in this huge, humongous lifeboat. And you got to know where to go and where to find it. And you just don't, can't go on any lifeboat. You got to go on your own. In your assigned lifeboat. Amen. Well, here's the thing. When the, when the, when the uh, Titanic was built and then sailed from Southampton, it was 1912 or something. I didn't even know what year it was. In the 19-teens. And it came, as you know, it hit an iceberg. They, they claimed that even God couldn't sink that boat, really. And all it took was an iceberg. <laughs> Shows you how dumb they were. Amen. But it hit an iceberg. And you know, in a couple hours, it went, and there were not enough lifeboats on it because everybody was so confident in the boat. Hey, don't be so confident in this world. It's going down. Amen. People might say it. You know, that people can't destroy this. You know, God can't. Even God can't destroy this world. Oh, really? But see, if I was on that Titanic and I got on a lifeboat, I'm there with the other people in that boat, and I watched that boat going down. I am not going to be discouraged because I'm in the boat. I'm in a lifeboat. Hallelujah. Folks, we are in a lifeboat. Hallelujah. We're not going down with a sinking ship. We're not going down with this country or any country. We're on our way out of here. We're going up. We're on the lifeboat. We're on the ship of Zion. We've been born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb, filled with the Holy Ghost. And when the trumpet sounds, we're going up. 
So let's keep on looking up. Hallelujah. Let's look on up. Praise God. Amen. There's a little song. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm getting ready to.